Hello and welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage. I'm here to give you a front row seat to the industry's most exciting awards races. Who is in the running? What makes awards-worthy film and television? How can you, listener, win a statue of your own? We're sitting down with actors to get that insider's perspective on these questions and more, and maybe, just maybe, we'll get a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. You've got to develop a very thick skin, Mm -hmm. but the passion is what picks you up. If you don't have the drive, then the rejection will destroy you. You've just got to want to do it. And it can happen early or it can happen later. That was Gary Oldman. It was. I'm going to assume we just played a Gary Oldman clip from yeah. that interview. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of lots of things I could take out of that. Yeah, yeah. We are post-interview right now and we had this, we've just witnessed, well, you were part of it, but I witnessed it. I was, A really yeah. fascinating interview. Yeah, you wrote down some choice quotes. Oh, oh, you have get here. the tab open. Yeah, I've got some great, Good. I've got some great quotes here. He did some very backstage kind of catering directly to backstage listeners, I think. Yeah. Which is always what we want. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there are going to be many interviews where he goes into Strasbourg and Meisner and mm. ah. Stella Adler and those kind we of people. We got into it. And yeah. yeah, it was fascinating hearing about that. Absolutely. And um, his time at the RSC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea of um, which projects to say yes to and alternating between stage and screen. And mm. he, as he keeps saying, it's all about the work. It's all about the passion We've heard it before on this podcast, yeah. but oh my God, did he say some? He said some things that I've never thought about and never heard of. Like, yeah, all that stuff about accents is really exciting. Yeah, and we have we got treated to a few as well. Yes, um, mm. I, I was really. Fa- I mean, based on my job, I was like pretty interested in the accents. Of course, of things, but um, he's a master. Yeah, that that idea of you know not just doing a caricature of a, an accent, not just reproducing the sound of an accent, but you're having to mm. sort of understand the context of why that accent is the yes. way it is. And he was he you'll hear shortly he talks about Southern Ireland and comparing that mm-hmm. to Northern Ireland and, mm-hmm. and you know and and the geographical influence oh of the actual sound of the the, the voices. Topography. Yeah. Like of yeah. course every accent is geographical in the sense that that's just how people talk, but he's making a point. I mean it's a, he's clearly he's a practiced pianist, he's a musician too, so it mm. comes from that. But like I've never thought of the melody of an accent coming from the actual environment that a person grows up in. And speaking of music, I don't want to you know spoil it too much, but uh-huh. he he was talking about Churchill on the keyboard. Yes. And what? That's just what? incredible. What? So we, I don't think we should elaborate too much. Tools. I just want to tease that because yes. it's such an interesting. Well, Winston study. Churchill in Darkest Hour, his latest role, which he already has a Golden Globe for and probably will continue to win awards for, Mm. that proved to be like the perfect opportunity to pick Gary Oldman's brain about his process because you've got to pull out all the stops when you're playing someone like that. And it's a huge task. I was was almost pleased to hear that he hesitated in accepting it because it's he knows that it's a daunting thing to play someone who's that famous, that long in the public eye. And, that and we didn't, you didn't mention it, but especially hot on the heels of The Crown. That's know, right. One. That's already an award-winning performance from this year, last year. Yeah. It's kind of on everyone's brain. We didn't. Even, we also didn't talk about the fact that the dar- that Darkest Hour and Dunkirk, the other kind of mm. big World War II prestige movie of the year, they're talking about the exact same 
time frame yeah. in England. Mm. One is just about the behind the scenes, the darkest hour, and one is about what's happening at the war itself. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge amount to unpack from this interview. So. If you haven't seen Darkest Hour, go see it. However, mm. I think this is one of those interviews where listeners will get a lot out of it having not seen the movie. Yeah, pre Correct? or post, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I completely agree. Cool. Well, right. should we get to it? I think so. Gary Oldman. Wow, he's been in so many things. Okay, <laughs> we're going to have to do a good intro for him now. Here we go. Gary Oldman is a BAFTA, Emmy, and Academy Award-nominated actor, best known for his astonishing on-screen versatility. You may or may not recognize him in everything from the Harry Potter and Dark Knight film franchises to his various villainous turns in Leon the Professional, The Fifth Element, or Bram Stoker's Dracula. Focus Features' Darkest Hour, the World War II drama from director Joe Wright, features his award-winning performance as Prime Minister Winston Churchill. Here it is, the In the Envelope interview with Gary Oldman. We have been going since late August. Mm-hmm. And it's longer than the movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did you know that signing up for this movie? Did you assume... No. 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 What did you know it's going last, into this movie? It's the last thing you think about. Uh-huh. You thought about the work. Yeah. Yeah. You thought about building Winston Churchill up from... I mean, he's been portrayed so many times, and he's there's footage of him everywhere. His words are imprinted on our brains. Like, how was this daunting task for you? Well, he's the most famous Briton. Mm-hmm. And he has his detractors, but he is revered and uh, mythologized. Mm. The statues everywhere of him in, in marble and bronze. And he has been played uh, over the years by many, many, many great actors. Mm-hmm. So it was a little, uh, it was, yeah, it, it wasn't a, an easy yes. Ah, mm-hmm. But I assume for someone like you, who I think of you as someone who takes one role and then in the next role it's a it's a left turn into something completely different. You know, that really is um, one's at the mercy of the industry. Ah. And it really is what comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't... I don't really engineer it, you know. Sure. You're not being offered every role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And 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 it's down to the imagination of the people that are casting you in the first place. I think um, mm. how they see you, how they think of you. How much of that is? How do you say yes? What do you know to say yes to? What do you know to say no to? Well, I said no to Churchill for a year. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> and why was that? Well, the physicality of it was. Uh obviously going to be a challenge yep (laughs) and that i think in my mind was the was the biggest roadblock Uh that how do we achieve it now i had worked with very very briefly 
20 years ago, I'd met Kazuhiro Suji, who was the, the man who designed the makeup. Mm. And when I met, sat down with Joe Wright, mm-hmm. um, my yes to playing Churchill was not, um, it wasn't completely contingent on getting Kazu. Ah. But I said to Joe, there's only one guy mm-hmm. who. Um, there's only one guy I can think of that could even remotely pull this off. Right. And he isn't working in the industry anymore. So he is now a sort of a hyper-realist oh, okay. sculptor. Oh, cool. Oh, and wow. he does this huge... Um, his work is a lot like Ron Muick, if you, you... You know, he does miniatures and life-size people, mm. but it's hyper-hyper-realistic. Wow. And Kazu does these portraits, these huge heads and shoulders cool. they're like busts but mm. but 10 times the size mm. so he's retired and um still lives in california but um but it just got out of the movie industry so it was a case of really me convincing him yeah mm. but even then you're not completely sure how it yeah. would work out i mean he, oh, yeah. he, even he said mm, this is challenging yeah <laughs> i'm not sure i can can, wow. can pull this off so it was uh and if you don't get the makeup right for this role it kind of falls apart yeah i yeah. mean my initial yeah. hesitation was look you can't have someone walking around up there who looks like a man in a rubber face right right uh, uh, mm. that's 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 not going to work um it's actually really great to hear that you that it's a real challenge i don't think of you as an actor who shies away from challenges but you got to be, you got to know, you must know that this is a huge role to take on. And that is daunting, right? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, you put those fears aside. I, um, I saw Albert Finney mm-hmm. and I remember Robert Hardy, who was a very, fa- very famous Churchill, um, mm. an actor who played him, I think, I think Hardy played him something like 24 times oh, wow. in his career. He was the sort of go-to guy who, and he was he, he was uh, friends with the great uh, biographer Martin Gilbert. And, mm. and there was a television series um, about Churchill called The Wilderness Years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, watch, I rem- remember watching that, but I didn't revisit any of the... Ah other Churchills because you just need to tune out the noise mm. of uh, yes you, you there's a fear that you may get um, influenced or contaminated by other people right um, so that was my first you know the first thing I did was just sort of push all that other or all, all that side mm-hmm. and then I went to the um, obviously around the the reading of Churchill, and there is gobs of it. There's something like 800 books on the man. <laughs> of course. 50 books that he had written himself. Oh, wow. Um, uh, it's estimated that he wrote more words um, than William Shakespeare and Charles Dickens put together. <laughs> he wrote millions and millions of words in his in his time. I'm, I, if, uh, funny enough, I'm reading something at the moment, re- rereading um, a, a book that was... Uh, it was first published in '36, and its articles and essays that Churchill wrote, warning of Hitler. Oh, yeah. 
wow. he had been banging that drum since 1932. Which mm. is why he was the logical pick for. I think so. And he goes, I mean, he does, he went on to say, you know, these wars have, they're given names. Mm. And he was asked, what would you, how would you, what would you, what would you say about the Second World War? And he said, it is, he, he said, it's the unnecessary war. Mm. Uh, and he, he believed oh. that um, an, an alliance early, uh, the League of Nations could have actually outed Hitler. In the 30s. Yeah. 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 Um, Wow. So, uh, so apart from his daily domestic uh, business mm. as a prime minister, and his many, many writings, and of course the speeches that he yes. wrote throughout the war, um, there are millions and millions and millions of words. And so, if you're going to research, mm. um, you've got a, got to start somewhere, I and, guess. Yeah, an endless uh, supply <laughs> of yeah. uh, inspiration and. Um, information. Almost too much inspiration. Yeah. Y yeah. But I but I singled out a few important, the key, some of the key reading material, mm -hmm. and then went to the footage of uh, Winston in the um, around this t around this time, mm -hmm. um, and was uh, struck by how dynamic he was, and how energized he mm. was. He. He was 65 at the time, but but marched around like someone half his age. Yeah, um, despite his kind of horrific eating and drinking habits and yeah, smoking and all of that. Yeah, well, maybe not so not so bad. He lived to 90. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was doing something right. He, he must have. Uh, we were, we were all eating like that, though. I mean, I was born in 58, and um, uh, it's a whole different. <laughs> Cultural. British cuisine, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, it was smoking was almost compulsory. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it's yeah. uh, you smoke and you drank, you ate stodgy puddings, and um, <laughs> you know that was uh, that was that was what that was the world at that sure. time. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that that. Some of the portrayals are the way that Churchill has been represented, mm -hmm. and some of it has been in older life. That you have this sort of idea of a sort of curmudgeon, grumpy sure. man born in a bad mood, barking <laughs> at everybody and shuffling around. And the Winston that I discovered was mm. was far more dynamic and um, wonderful, cherubic. You know, cherubic. Yes, yeah. that was in your performance too. Yeah. Yeah. I've, and I've heard actors say when they're playing a very well-known person that they do kind of set aside any other recent portrayals, any other examples of actors mm. interpreting it. Yeah. And, I mean, would you say then that that process is as if you're creating a character from scratch? Is it similar to creating a completely fictitious character from the ground up? It, it's, it depends on the writing. Of the, great, of the screenplay. Yeah. 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 Great Great writing will give you the clues. Mm. Um, oh, cool. A, a, a writer, a really good writer, it's like a sort of, I call it like your map of the world. Mm. And and it will, there'll be signposts and <laughs> clues. Clues for the character. To a, yeah. to, to a character. Cool. Um, 
you know, because you ha- because you it's almost like with Winston, you start with a with an impersonation and you move away oh. from it. Oh, cool! I okay. think that's how I yeah that's how I did it. That you make it, mm. you you kind of have to make it a creation and so, own it and make it your own thing. And a lot of that is the footage, is watching. Yeah, to get the sort of just little gestures and Mm -hmm. little things that he did. There's a little move that he did with his head and Mm. the way his, uh, you know, he seemed to always have the cigar on the left side of his mouth. Mm. Um, A little thing he did with the way he said certain words and what he did with his lip. And uh, he had had a sort of speech impediment that he had been trying to sort of eradicate from when he was young and then i think Mm. that it became um he was a great self-promoter and understood branding i think before it was a thing oh cool so that that idea of you know the sort of rather strange victorian clothes the homburg hat the cigar Mm. the walking cane uh you want it to be memorable yeah he Mm. was he he knew image he understood image and i think that the 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 lisp mm-hmm. the uh, the speech thing that he had he just eventually embraced it and it became mm. it became a trademark uh, it 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 was unmistakable if mm-hmm. you heard him on the radio which is part you, of the branding too almost yeah you knew that it was you knew that it was Churchill mm. so I started heavy with that the, yeah almost. and then you and then you sort of you 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 ease off the gas and oh. and find maybe sentences or places where you could where you could hammer it a little, oh, cool. little heavier right and Other, otherwise you would have you know all the all the ashes of Churchill nearly all his ashes were like this uh-huh. <laughs> so you would have two hours of summer talking like and you couldn't you, you you know it's you're telling a story it's not a documentary. You don't have the luxury of long-form TV, so you can't just spend an hour here and an hour there and letting your audience get to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're still yeah. Uh, doesn't matter who you are. If you're Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson, or or you know Joe Wright, you are mm-hmm. pretty much still under the hammer. Yeah. Of two hours yeah. and a few minutes, right? And I and I I just felt that 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 lisp mm. for two hours would be would, would be hard on the ear, just alienating, yeah, for an um, audience. And it, the, then it becomes, um, you know, we got it, and then we have a film with uh, it's sort of the Ministry of Funny Voices because um, <laughs> you've got that rather plummy. Uh, voice of Halifax, played mm. by Stephen Delane, mm-hmm. who is, uh, and he has a sort of he has a weak he has a weak R, so he tends to <laughs> say the R as a W, and then you've got m- me lisping my away and and all these, and then you have Clemmy speaking in this fair sort of clear yes. sort of English voice, <laughs> so it would uh, it, it it could be a, just a carnival of voices, yeah, Monty Python, yeah. Yeah, and it, it helps, too, that you're not doing a traditional biopic, quote-unquote, where it's cradle to grave. You have to play him for his whole entire life. Instead, as you say, he's it's these couple weeks, he's 65 years old, he's at exactly this point in yeah, time. Yeah, 
yeah. that's a sizable chunk that you can Yeah, and that was part on. of the, when I finally got my head around saying yes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the th- obviously, the things that there were things that were there that were attractive, mm-hmm. um, you know, ha- apart from obviously having the opportunity of speaking this great language and mm. being able to say some of those speak some of those great words but um, I did not have to play a life a whole yeah. a whole life it really takes it takes place over five or six weeks mm-hmm. yeah you said recently that you act I want to ask why you act um, and you joked I don't know how how serious you were when you said that it's from a place of self-loathing where you want to immerse into these characters yeah. <laughs> I don't know how serious you are about that well it's a strange but. thing to want to do mm-hmm I think um, acting, mm. but it is about getting away mm. from yourself. Yeah, um, um, you know, one is just because one is on a in the public eye, so to speak, and well, on a yeah. big screen, um, still doesn't doesn't remove the fact that I. Um, Regular. I'm, mm. st- I'm still a guy who yeah. has insecurities like everybody else, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and the further that I can get away from them, and I guess disguise myself, ah. there's a liberation that comes with it. It's like um, if anyone has worn a Halloween mask, mm-hmm. mm. um, you are suddenly liberated. There's and there's. Um, let you're less inhibited, mm. and it's and it's much like that feeling. Yeah. Um, Would you say it's therapeutic? Uh, I, no. I well, and no. you've played a lot of villains, so probably it's probably not great to immerse yourself into I don't know Lee Harvey Oswald <laughs> and then go home and try to get back to because each character has to sit with you inside you. Yeah, I, I mean, in the in the I, I I've likened it. To um, here's the thing, you are emoting mm-hmm. um, or asked to emote for a living. You're not doing it constantly in in, in a role from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. But there are peaks, there are valleys. You know, there there, and if you are asked to weep or, or mm-hmm. cry or you that's Gary crying and you're then putting it through the facility that you have or whatever mm-hmm. you you know but you you're channeling it through the your your prism your particular mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. or your your technique your skill or whatever however you want to whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. so you are pretending Mm-hmm. You're play acting. You're pretending to be another person, but I use things in my own experience and my own history mm. to achieve those emotional outbursts. Mm. Um, and uh, so th- there are days, or there have been roles that one plays where you go in and it's like a snow globe. You know, you're shaking yourself up mm. um, and revisiting 
things. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, and then what? You're expected to sort of just go home and I don't know, drink a drink a beer, put your feet up, and watch TV. You know, you're. Right. It's a strange. Yeah. It, it's a, you know you're not you're not um, uh, you're not schizophrenic. Right. Right. You, you've you can't become someone else right. because you would be in an institution, you right. know, but it, you give the illusion of, uh, of that. I, um, I read Stanislavski and uh, a little bit of Uta Hagen, mm-hmm. particularly uh, the, the writings and teachings of Stella Adler mm. over the years. Yeah. Um, but there's a Meisner acting teacher Meisner quote that says that acting is living truthfully mm-hmm. under imaginary circumstances mm-hmm. and that's that to me is that hit, hits the nail on the head that's what it boils down to uh, yeah yeah that's a that's a wonderful way mm. he just encapsulates the whole thing there mm-hmm. in that in that one and so you and you of course you're like any actor like any studied actor you're drawing from all of these influences um, Meisner is also so much about listening to the, your scene partner or to outward yeah. circumstances. Yeah. So when you say, when you have to emote a lot or weep or some such, that that, that comes from you and your own imagination, how often are you also tuning into your scene partner? Oh, you're t- yes. I mean, the, 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 the moment that Lily James and I have mm. when she t- in so the lovely. movie when she talks about her brother mm. and her eyes start to well up and (laughs) and then she turns to me and she says what is it and I say I'm just looking at you Mm. and there's this sort of very this wonderful sort of emotional connection between us Mm. Um, yeah I'm I'm taking I'm taking from what Lily is giving Mm -hmm. there and giving right back yeah Mm -hmm. Um, there are uh there, there are moments that you that you have to that go to, um, where you where you you're asked to sort of emote from like naught to sixty. Yes. That, and you're and you're mm. not necessarily uh, reacting or playing off yep. another character. So that's when you pull you out. Di- the- that's when you dig deep. Yeah, the bag yeah. of tricks almost. Yeah. yeah, and you go to, uh, you know, you try and find or think of something that then brings brings. It's it's the old it's good old fashioned emotional recall. Yeah. Wow. Um, is Stella Adler? She's focused on imagination, is yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who who pioneered sense memory? Is that also a? Um, I think it, I think that might be at, that's Lee Strasberg. Strasberg. Oh right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you draw from all of these. Yeah, I think instinctively. Yeah, yeah, that's what training yeah. is. It's a baseline. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of it is intuition. Yeah, you got to build that intuition. Um, you can hone it. Mm-hmm. Right. But you can't give. You can't teach it. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, you. Okay. Yeah, if someone has, you know, like someone will have. Um, a funny bone. You, uh-huh. you, you don't. You, you you just don't know why that person 
just intuitively has a comic timing. Right. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's even the cadence, a turn of phrase. It, it's they just have this comic leaning. There's something about them that just ju- that just makes you laugh or <laughs> um, uh, charm. Yes. You know, you Something have to as simple have, as, yeah. It, it has to be innate. Yeah. You, you can't, you can't, very, it's hard to act charm. Yeah. Yes. It, it's not an emotion to play. It's not No, a, no. you know, yeah. you've, comes from it's, you. it's like a, a, a metaphysical reaction that you, right. that, that you have to, to, uh, to a person. Mm. Yeah. You can't invent charisma or copy it. It has to kind of come from yeah, you. Yeah. So there's things that you can. Hmm. There are there there are techniques and things that you that you can learn as sure. an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have good instinct, you can sharpen instinct hmm. by by really working. Just working hard. Working yeah. and work and even even just working on on your own. Hmm. Um, there's no substitute right for the work. Um, I, when I when I, I I knew that you just apply common sense. It, it, I knew, for instance, that um, you can't search for the words in um, in darkest hour. They they've got to be readily accessible. Oh, in mm-hmm. a, you know, um, and there was no there was no way that I could go through a makeup process. And be learning or looking at the script or oh. looking at the scene. Um, mm. So I learned uh, Darkest Hour once the final kind of once we'd really locked in the final s- shooting script. Mm-hmm. I uh, I learned it like a play. Absolutely, yeah. So we had we we it was unusual. We had four weeks rehearsal. Oh, oh wow. Uh, um, and uh, so you could really physicalize and vocalize the role. Yeah. Um, but I was off the book. Totally. I, by, by the time I got to backwards and forwards. Yeah. I. Um, by the time we got to rehearsal, I knew it. I knew the. I knew the script like a play. Yeah. And then you're not really. I'm a, a big believer. In, it's not how well you know something. It's how long you've known it. Oh, interesting. You want to have it ingrained in you for a long time. Yeah. Well, someone once said that years and years after you were in Hamlet that you could quote any passage of Hamlet at a given notice. Someone said that about me? Yeah. Or, um, <laughs> uh, I'm tempted to just ask you to just do a, a soliloquy right now. Yeah, but there are things that, you know, um, uh, um, once more to the breach, dear friends, once more I'll close up this wall with our mm. English dead in peace. This nothing so becomes a man as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger, stiffen the sinews, summon up. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it you know, you. you've known something a long, long, long time, mm. and then it is readily ac- accessible. Mm. When did uh, you last play that role? That was that was uh, actually I just quote a bit of Henry V. Um, I'm f- happy that someone said I played Hamlet. Yes, I've never played Hamlet, oh. but I'll take I'll take that. <laughs> I believe it was on the on the set of Fifth Element that someone said, "Oh yeah, he just can quote any passage from that." Play. I think um, uh, I, I I know where it may have come from. I have a poem hmm. um, that I a sort of comical. 
a, a poem about Hamlet oh. that, that I've that I sometimes that you uh, wrote. No, it oh. was by a man called Gerald Gerald Wiley, mm. and um, and I sometimes uh, quote it for fun for people. <laughs> I, I think that's probably where that's that's probably where that rumor yeah came from. Yeah, um, I would like to ask too because you're a master. I don't know what to call it, dialect practitioner. Um, all of that, the Meisner and the Strasbourg and the Adler and all of this and Stanislav, of course, how does that come into the astonishing variety of accents that you've played on screen? How can another actor become that good at it? Oh, well, there are many out there. I mm. think that um, it's a good ear. Mm. Mm -hmm. it, it, again, again it, I think you have to have some talent for it something innate yeah, yeah. and then it's work again mm. yeah it, and the uh, I, I'll give you an example for Darkest Hour mm -hmm. there are times when Churchill he, he's in a lower register mm -hmm. and I um, hooked up with this singing teacher well, he's an opera singer, but he but he but he, he teaches primarily. He teaches, but he also is a, a, a sort of opera singer in his own right, Michael E. Dean, and um, I found him, mm. and I always got a music to do sort of vocal work, mm. and I worked out or we together worked out the range oh. of Churchill oh on the gosh. piano on the keyboard, and then over time, I could lower my voice huh. to hit the notes to be more in the range of Winston and that again is a muscle yeah you know some people are born with an incredible set of pipes I mean that sure. they just naturally have a, one, a, a wonderful speaking voice or a great singing voice mm -hmm. um, I'm more of a tenor mm. so Churchill's more of a bass, I guess. A baritone. Yeah. Yeah, he's in, you know. And, and then, of course, after a, a long evening of cigars and uh, and uh, that will also give you... The range a, goes down. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. to achieve some of that raspiness, it's just exercising a muscle. It's like going yeah. into training. Uh-huh. But also playing it out on a piano and giving your character certain ranges... That just—I mean—that's remarkable. It's another way. It's another um, filter. Almost. You're talking about that prism of the character. Yeah. That's another prism. Yeah. And you look at, you know, environments. Accents mm. are. Uh, there's a reason for accents. If you look at some uh, uh, something obvious. If you look at Southern Ireland, mm -hmm. which is open and hilly, and green, and you have. There's almost the melody ah. of the hills in the, in the way that they speak versus a very cold, grey, urban London, Belfast. Sure, or Belfast. So the, mm. um, they don't open their mouth as much. Ah. They're not as free. They're yeah. more contained. And it's, and it's the same. We're here in, in New York. Mm -hmm. You've still got the old sound of Italian New of Italian ah. in Italian New York, uh -huh. and it tends to go down. So you have, you know, the uh, the accent will go it will go down. Smarter you, 
it's sort of in that area. If you think of Irish New York, mm. you still have the sound of island in the thing because it tends to go up at the end uh. and it tends to be a lot lighter. Come on, what do you, you know? So you go, hey, forget about it. And then you go, <laughs> forget about uh. it. So one goes down and one goes up. Oh, wow. You know, so it's where people, it, it's their environment. If it's flat mm. and open mm-hmm. and windy and cold, then the, the face becomes more pinched mm. and the mouth it isn't, it isn't so ac- accents, it dictates how. Remarkable. You I've know, never so, thought of such a thing. I, I, well, it all has, I think it probably all has. Um, I mean, if you think of the South uh-huh. and how just how hot it is, mm. and uh, you had plantation owners mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, it, you know, they they weren't picking the cotton; they <laughs> no. were sitting on, they were sitting in the heat mm. on the porch. Mm. You know what I mean? Everything and, becomes and, languid, and, and everything becomes mm. sort of, you know, right. it, it feels. Sweaty and hot and kind of <laughs> lazy the way the sound. So um, I always, uh, you know, it's it's you want to make it as specific as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good advice too. Yes. Yeah. You don't want to do the southern accent. Yeah. There's nothing worse than sort of just a general thing. Yeah. One of the hardest challenges I ever had as an actor was um, doing Jim Gordon oh, in The mm-hmm. Batman mm-hmm. because Chris didn't want me, Chris Nolan didn't want me to come from a, a particular place. Mm. Right, fictional Gotham. is. So he didn't want it to sound Chicago. Oh. He didn't want it to sound New York. Oh. He didn't... And you're not British. And I'm not British. Right. So... Um, you're somewhere fictitious in America. Yeah, yeah. somewhere in America. Interesting. I found that um, you have nothing to ground. No, yeah, and there's also uh, hmm. there's music in language. Yeah, and you find, I mean, a lot of British ad- actors, um, I, you know, seem to be quite comfortable with a with a southern accent, and I think that's huh. partly to do with because there's kind of a music to it, and you can hmm. come in and out and the thing, and it's got a kind of there's actually something you can latch on to. Hmm. Um, in a film, um, in a film like The Contender, mm-hmm. it's uh, you know there's some there's hard R's, but it was a very sort of again a sort of, it, it there wasn't there wasn't the music there there wasn't a melody there that you can mm. that you can g- grab onto mm. so some of them are more some of them are more challenging sure. than others sure. Um, and like you said about Churchill, sometimes you got to know when to kind of ease back and not push it. Because you're, to, because you're trying to communicate. Right. The uh, words. Uh, the wor- yeah. uh, a story. And you've got to service the, yeah. you've got to be at service to the, to the tale that you're mm. telling. And um, so you sometimes uh, forsake mm. the, the absolute accuracy of it only because you, uh. you, you you want to you want to get the point across. Right, I just don't want it to be a mouthful of splashy yeah. splashy ashes. Right. <laughs> yes. Patrick um, Patrick Stewart actually said the same thing. He said 
I, I don't need to be loud. You just need to be clear. You have to be articulate enough that we can understand you. Yeah. See, there's someone. Um, Whose voice. I, I, w- I watched. Um, I was lucky to have seen a great many of his performances in mm-hmm. the 70s mm-hmm. at the Royal Shakespeare Company. I mean, and there's someone who's just got a born with a voice. Absolutely. Yeah, and he's actually from the north, and his accent has changed so much that you can't tell that's that's where he's from. I mean, he's, right. he's that much of a chameleon almost. Did you guys overlap at the RSC when you were there? No, he had no. long, long gone. Mm-hmm. But yeah. your time there, it was in it was well into your career by that point. But yeah. it must have been just before the kind of Hollywood era of your career. Yeah, I guess what I what I always tried to do, or, or at least the way it happened. As I would do a film and then a mm. play and oh. then a film and a play, cool. and, a, and that's how initially I kind of nice. uh, navigated it. Mm. Um, <laughs> when I was doing "Prick Up Your Ears" mm-hmm. um, with Stephen Frears, I had five plays in rep that I was doing. Oh wow! And um, and at five o'clock we would finish, and the car would then take me to the Barbican. Oh, and wow. and then I to would do be, a show. Would do a show, one of five shows. Yeah, and oh. then we would do that and rotate them, you know, in rep. Oh, how strange! Um, and you're playing a playwright in Prick Up Your Ears. Uh, yeah, and getting up very early to get. I, I don't know how I did it. No, that's I remarkable. I, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. I mean, Churchill was uh, was a test of stamina. Sure. You'd come in. I mean, my alarm would sometimes, you know, my pickup times were sometimes two thirty a.m., two forty-five a.m. Oh gosh! I'd get uh, in four hours of, you know, makeup and clothes and the whole thing. <laughs> um, then a twelve-hour day because you've you're, you've already worked four hours in the makeup chair. Yeah, and then you've got gosh. ten or twelve hours, an hour to take it off at night. Uh huh. By the time that you would you would travel, uh, I mean they're good problems to have. I'm of not, course, I'm of not, course. But but by right. the time that you would, you know, sort of decompress and have dinner and a shower and a, mm. so you're looking at a sort of eighteen, nineteen hour day. Mm. And the and the, the 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 thing that I was initially worried about was just the sheer stamina. Yeah. Of oh yeah. Of being able to really just day in day out keep keep the energy. Mm. Um. <laughs> But uh, how I was in a film and in a theatre in the <laughs> evening, I, honestly, it's youth, isn't it? That's stamina, right. That's youth. It's just being, <laughs> I didn't even think about it. It was just, wow. yeah, you know, where are you going tonight? You know, oh, uh, got to get, get, you know, got to get off to the theatre. I've got a show tonight. And the hard thing was uh, when you, because it was in rep, mm-hmm. And it it was um, it, in this rotation, you would get there, and then of course you would then be performing a play that you haven't done for three weeks. Mm. Oh my god! Yeah. And so we would meet in the green room and do a speed run of lines. Oh wow! And then and then you're and then you're on, and uh, some some of those shows that were back in after a two-week absence or yeah. three weeks. I, I, I actually thought we're terrible. Oh, you just can't. 
fully click into it. No, no, no. It it felt like uh, they felt like a sort of dre- uh, like a dress rehearsal or yeah, something. Oh. You know what I mean? You're you're and you're trying to remember. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exits and entrances. It's like you different... said about you can't be at a loss for what your words are. You have to have that so in your blood and your muscles. Yeah. yeah. But um, we got through it. Yeah. Um, because we're backstage, we always love ask, asking the acting advice, even audition advice questions. I know you were rejected from RADA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I'm sure they regret rejecting you for one thing, but... For for those actors who are at that stage where they're they want to go to acting school, or they're being rejected from various any acting opportunities, and that extends to just the sheer amount of auditions you go to, that where you get a no. What advice do you have for those people in that position? Well, I it's it's a tough one because I I always refer to it as a sort of the theatre disease. You know, mm. I test positive. <laughs> I'm. I, I have the theater illness. Yeah, the bug. Yeah, you got the bug, yeah. and you—you uh, you know, I was rejected. Yeah. Ra- Rada was my first audition um, mm-hmm. because it was uh, my 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 first choice, and many of my sort of acting heroes had yeah. had, had been through it. The training there, and um, in the end of the day, I realised. Now, now I realise it's all much of a muchness. <laughs> you take what you take the good, discard the bad, mm. do the work, and mm. you know it, it, it. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. But at the time when oh, I was eighteen or sixteen yeah. or whatever, you know, it was that was the sort of holy grail yeah. of. Uh, acting schools and I did not um, get in but it but it didn't dishearten me mm. you just Good. sort of dusted you just dust yourself off mm. um, because you really want to do it <laughs> you've got to really want to do it yes and it's it's everything you know like, like, well, when you're young, you know, you get a passion for something, then it becomes you put it above everything else. It's before everything else. When my uh, kids were at school, there was um, there was a young kid there, and he used to sort of noodle around on the on the guitar, mm-hmm. and he has since become a really very good songwriter, and they have this band called Kid Bloom. Um, in LA, and they are—they just get better and better and better mm-hmm. and better. And um, I sent a tape of theirs to Jack White, mm. and uh, it, they found a since found a label and an agent and, and a manager and all of that stuff. But at the time, they were relatively unknown, and I directed a little music video for them and I just believed in them because I just thought they were talented mm-hmm. and um, I said to Jack you know just have a listen mm-hmm. and he wrote back and he said they are way ahead of most of the demos mm. that I hear mm-hmm. you know just for a start mm-hmm. and he also said you know what would my advice be you got to want it like it's your life 
blood like your life depends on it and you just got to keep writing music playing and working at it mm. and it may break it may happen for them it mm. may not mm. but you've you've got to got to want to do the you've got to put in the work um eric clapton's the same thing you know um when other people in his early you know of course he had his he later had his uh, moments with the with alcohol and and, mm. the, and the drug abuse but in the beginning when other people were kind of like messing around mm. and up the pub and drinking and taking drugs eric would wake up and practice until he went to sleep <laughs> um there's no substitute for the work mm. and if you love it and it's a passion mm. then it isn't arduous it's it's not it's not it's good work mm. it's not bad work it's 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 good work right. um i was the first person in my drama school to uh get a job uh, in, in in the professional theater mm -hmm. and it wasn't i don't say that it was because i had you know exceptional talent or better than mm. some of the people in the in the in the year um i wrote the letters had my headshots done mm. um i you know finished my degree working on my voice i was doing those things while other people were messing around and huh. going to the pub every night mm -hmm. don't go to the pub every night it's a good don't piece go of to advice. the pub <laughs> you know um and that meant that um i had my headshots done had my letters written. All the professional actor sent it out. One hundred and one. Yeah, got responses back. You know, auditioned, mm -hmm. failed at a few places. Right. Didn't get in at the Bristol Old Vic or wherever oh. it. You know, and then eventually I auditioned yep. and um, and and got got my uh, equity card. Um, I just did the work. Yeah, that's what it all comes down to. And when that when those rejections come in and they are inevitable yeah then you as you say you dust your dust yourself off yeah you've got to develop you've got to develop a very thick skin mm -hmm. but the the passion mm. is what picks you up right if you if you don't have the the drive then the rejection will will defeat you well yeah 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 it'll destroy mm. you mm. if you've got to have and you've got to have I mean, it was Churchill who was uh, who said, you know, he said, "If um, you know, of, co of course, I'm an egoist." He said, mm. well, "You know, if you if you don't have an ego, you would never get on in life. You would never achieve anything." Mm -hmm. I mean, there's got to be something in us that needs the the attention or the likes being noticed. I mean, whatever <laughs> that whatever that thing is, mm. um, but. Uh, You've, 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 you've got to. It's you just got to want to do it. Um, yeah. And uh, and it and it can happen, um, and it can happen early or it can happen later. Mm -hmm. a, a, a young actor came up to me the other day, and, and he was worried that you know he's twenty eight years old, but he sees 
actors who are 18 or 17 and they've got, yes. and they've got a break and <laughs> yeah. he started a little later mm-hmm. in the t- training as, a, as, a, as an actor and, um, and my advice to him was just worry about what you're doing. Yeah, rather than... It doesn't matter. I have seen... I have, I'd watched Anthony Hopkins all my life. I've <laughs> seen him on stage. I've seen him in films and I've seen him in television you know, and he and he and he's he's been brilliant, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know gets an gets an Oscar at fifty three years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, it, you never know. You never know exactly. So uh, yeah, I said to this, I said to this young guy, and twenty eight is still a baby. You know, he's still young. <laughs> it's um, don't 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 measure yourself. Right. Against mm. against that, it, right. it they got a break at eighteen. It, it they might not be around in five years. Sure. You know what I mean? Or you can't measure yourself. You can't think about other people's passion or work. Yeah, it's about your own. Yeah. yeah. So that's that would be my advice. It's excellent, excellent advice. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by. Yeah. It's been an honor to have you. It's worth noting, not to his face, because it's just like blowing, it's just like, I'd just be like praising him unnecessarily and like, whatever. But he is one of those actors where there's this phenomenon where everyone who works with him, they then say, oh, he's my favorite actor. They then say like, oh, he's my example of the very best person I've worked with. Like, Mm. Benedict Cumberbatch, Daniel Radcliffe, like the list is Colin Firth, like everyone... Those are all the Brits. He's worked with all of the Brits, and they've all named him their favorite actor. Yeah, and that's tell- very telling. It is very yeah. t- exactly. And my theory, again, I didn't tell him this, but my theory about Gary Oldman is that he's so good. But the reason he wasn't never nominated for a Golden Globe Award before this year was because, yes, he's good individually in everything he does, but you don't recognize him from one role to the next. Right. And it's almost like you can't compare someone who plays. Sid Vicious and Joe Orton in the same year. I believe those were like within a year of each other. Each is individually great, but it's because you see one and you see the other and you have to then make the mental leap of, oh, that one actor played both of those. Absolutely. That's what makes him amazing. (laughs) This may be ridiculous, but as you were speaking there, I was was thinking that I wonder if he amplifies everyone else's performance to such a degree Mm -hmm. that that they... They, in some ways, they don't outshine him, but because they're elevated in their performance, yeah, they, yeah. they're seen as this, well, this is a real, like, important performance for them or whatever, just his presence, right. because he's up in I, stakes. I wonder if that's why people enjoy working with him so much, because Absolutely. he's so great to work with. He's just giving you know. and giving and giving. Yeah. And he touched on that a little bit with that scene with Lily James in Darkest Hour, yeah. where yeah. the two of them are feeding off of each other. Mm. I loved hearing about... How some of that has to be innate and it has to come from you. Yeah. And sometimes you need a sense memory to, to really emote as an actor. But a lot of other times it's about receiving and giving back and just being really present with your scene partner. Extraordinary. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe for more interviews from the front lines of the industry's awards races. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City. Thanks, as always, to producer, editor, and all-around podcast whiz, Jamie Muffet. You can follow him on Twitter at JamieMusicNYC. 
You can follow me, Jack Smart, on Twitter at JackSmartWrites. Thank you, of course, to the team at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting. That's Peter Rapoport, Mark Stinson, Francis Ramos, Rowan Al-Khatib, and especially the astounding Casey Howe. For more awards and industry coverage, head over to Backstage.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time for another glimpse in the envelope. <laughs>